Well, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is good to see everyone here at church, whether you're on site or online. And today we're in the midst of our August worship series that's entitled Facts, F-A-Q-S, and we're exploring frequently asked questions by Christians. If you've been with us over the past weeks, you know some of our facts have included how can I know that I am saved? What's God's will for my life? And do miracles still happen? Today we come asking the question, what is heaven like? Our scripture lesson comes from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. Listen closely for God's word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the new holy city, the Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Amen. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, wrote in a sermon, I am passing through life as an arrow through the air. I am a spirit come from God and returning to God. And I want to know one thing, the way to heaven and how to land safe on that happy shore. Well, we share that desire with Wesley. We too want to know the way to heaven. And in part, it is a realization that ultimately this world is not our home. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, We are aliens and strangers passing through this world to the world beyond. And so we sing songs like, I'm bound for the promised land. We're marching to Zion. And when we all get to heaven... Because we're marching through Emmanuel's ground to fairer worlds on high. Eternal life is our experience. Heaven is journey's end. And in the Apostles' Creed, we profess that we believe in the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And so today we come to ask the question, what is heaven like? And I discovered something interesting as I began to research this sermon. This topic doesn't get a lot of attention in the contemporary church. Casting back to when I was in seminary, I never had a class on heaven. There was very relatively little teaching about it. I went to my study, looked at the shelves. There were a few books about heaven. Then I consulted eight colleagues in the ministry, and they sent back, a lot of jokes, a few illustrations, and one short sermon. Although heaven is central to our faith, we don't talk a lot about it. Why not? 
I think there are several reasons. One is, for some of us, we may have well grown up in an era where heaven and hell were the ultimate carrot and stick to get people to the altar. I recall as a teenager in my small country church hearing countless revival preachers describe the rewards of heaven and the perils of hell. And I don't know if it's weakness or strength, but I always hesitate a little to get people to heaven by scaring the other out of them. Secondly, and this is an indictment upon the modern church, we've married our culture. We've fallen in love with the world. America in general, and Atlanta and Buckhead in particular, we are blessed with material abundance. And because we are physical creatures, we tend to engage in those things that appeal to our five senses. And things are so good here, we don't want to spend a lot of time thinking about there. It's reflected in our hymnology. I recall going to fifth Sunday night singings when I was a child, and they pull out the old Cokesbury hymnals or even older hymnals. They were filled with songs about heaven. Today's hymnals, not as much. And it's easy to begin to think of yourself as an earthly settler rather than a heavenly pioneer. Of course, third reason we don't talk a lot about heaven is because we don't know a lot about heaven. We get glimpses and insights in Scripture, but it's not like anybody's ever gone to heaven and come back with a travelogue. Although, this past week, I did get a Facebook friend request from a fellow United Methodist pastor who I know for a fact died the week before. I'm hoping somebody hacked his account. I was real nervous about accepting the friend request. And even Jesus, in his 40 days after the resurrection, didn't talk about heaven. He told the disciples what they needed to do here on earth. And so we're reduced to what Paul says of um, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has perceived what God has prepared for those whom love him. Reinhold Niebuhr put it a little bit more prosaically when he said, the Bible tells us very little about the temperature of hell or the furniture of heaven. And so we are trying to describe the indescribable, to explain the inexplicable. And right now we see through a dark glass dimly, one day we will see face to face and we will know just as we are known. So I'll warn you, there will be more questions than answers in today's sermon, but there are some basic things that we can profess. First of all, the question, what is heaven? There are a variety of different ways to answer that question, and ultimately, we have to resort to poetry, to simile, to metaphor. C.S. Lewis said this, heaven is that remote music we are born remembering. The basic image for me is that it is dwelling fully with God, that heaven is God's home. And when you say that, that's immediately open to misinterpretation. Because we believe God is in all times and in all places, but we will have full, undiminished, uninterrupted relationship with God in heaven. If you're a baseball fan, you may have watched on August the 12th when the White Sox hosted the Yankees in Dyersville, Iowa, and they played the game in the middle of a cornfield, which is adjacent to where they filmed the movie 
field of dreams. And there's a great scene in the movie where Kevin Costner's character, Ray, encounters his father, John. And John asks him, is this heaven? And his son replies, no, it's Iowa. Iowa? I could have sworn it was heaven. And then Costner's character plaintively asks, is there a heaven? And his father grins and says, oh yeah, it's the place where dreams come true. What's heaven? Well, when you talk about heaven, you also at least briefly need to talk about hell, which may be one of the other reasons we don't talk about heaven a lot in the contemporary church. But when you read the Gospels, you discover that the Bible teaches there are one of two eternal destinations for humanity. And Jesus himself spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. The United Methodist Book of Discipline in the Articles of Religion says this, We believe all people stand under the righteous judgment of Jesus Christ, both now and in the last day, and we believe in the resurrection of the dead, the righteous to life eternal, and the wicked to endless condemnation. To be totally honest, and I usually try to be in sermons, I struggle with my understanding of divine grace and the Bible teaching of eternal damnation. But Scripture pretty clearly says that there are those who experience total alienation from God. The third question becomes critical. How do I get to heaven? There was a Barna survey done of Americans. 80% believed in heaven. 70% said they thought they were going to go there which makes you wonder what the other 10% are thinking about. A colleague was telling a story about doing a children's sermon in worship and made the critical mistake every pastor knows not to do to ask the boys and girls a question. And he said to the children, how do you get to heaven? And without hesitation, one little boy threw up his hand and shouted out, die. <laughs> the child was a pretty good theologian. Because if you want to go to heaven, you've got to die to self. You've got to live for Christ. You've got to give up human ambition and anything you think you deserve and depend entirely upon grace. We've seen in earlier ser ser series, uh, sermons in this series that salvation comes by grace through faith. And at the cross and at the empty tomb, sin and death have been put to death. And we are gifted with life, abundant life, everlasting life. And part of what we discover as Christians is that heaven is not just some pie in the sky by and by when we die. We begin to experience eternal life the moment we accept Christ as our Savior. And it is a journey where death is yet another milestone where we enter fully into God's presence. Others ask, and I especially hear this as a pastor, what happens when I die? Human beings naturally fear death. And even the most devout of Christians can fear the process of dying. And other than some questionable near-death experiences and a lot of Hollywood imagery, what testimony we have from Scripture is slight and slightly indiscernible. There is some evidence that we, our spirits immediately go to God and that on the final day, we are reunited with new resurrected bodies. 
But there's a lot that the Bible doesn't say, which is a long way of saying, I don't know. But we do cling to Paul's affirmation of faith in 1 Timothy, where he said, I know whom I believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard that which I have entrusted to him for that final day. My guess every parent here has had the same experience that my wife and I did when our children were little. Occasionally, they would wake up in the middle of the night from a nightmare. And they were frightened, they were scared, and the first thing we would know is when we hear this down the hall. Little footprints racing down the hall, and then they would launch themselves through the air and land between my wife and me, and before we could say a word, they were snuggled under the covers and pretending to be asleep. They were scared to death. But they were willing to get out of their beds and run down the dark hall because they knew we were at the far end. That image comforts me when I think about dying and death. We may not understand exactly what happens, but we know who's awaiting us on the far side, and we can go in peace. People also ask, will I know and be known? Is my personal identity going to be preserved when I go to heaven? Because there are some religions that do not believe that. Scripture testifies that God preserves who we are. And part of the issue here is that in the Bible in general, and in Christian theology as well, there is a, a, mish, a mashup of Greek philosophy and Hebrew theology. But we as Christians, if you go very deep into scriptural teaching, do not believe that we possess an immortal soul that is encapsulated in a body. And that when we die, the soul just ejects like a pilot would from a falling plane. We believe in resurrection. We believe resurrection is something that God does. In the Apostles' Creed, we profess a belief in the resurrection of the body, and first of all, of Jesus Christ, but also of us. Paul wrote about that in 1 Corinthians. He said, this is how it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable will be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it will be raised with glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised with power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. And part of what this means is that God honors us as unique individuals and every part of us is worth saving. And in heaven, everybody is somebody, and everybody is some body. Now, thanks be to God, it's going to be a different one because I'm kind of wearing my mind out as time goes on. And in my own imagination, I'm going to be resurrected with Chris Hemsworth's body and Frederick Freeman's athletic ability and Paul Newman's eyes, and Tom Cruise's smile, and Hugh Jackman's charisma, and of course my own adorable personality. But God will honor who we are, and we will recognize others as well. One of the grand images of heaven is of a reunion, where all of God's people are gathered back together, and we celebrate forever in the Lord's presence. I read today from Revelation chapter 21 where it talks about in that final day God will be his, with his people and he will be their God and they will be his peoples and the old order of thing will pass away and there will be no more sorrow or mourning or crying or pain or death. I am occasionally asked, and not just by children but also by adults, do our pets go to heaven? 
And the Bible is largely silent on that topic, although Isaiah does talk about the wolf and the lamb laying down together on the final day. And this next part is Bill Birch talking, not the Bible. But I believe that Sam the Yorkshire Terrier, who lives at our house, is going to heaven. But that roaches, mosquitoes, and snakes will be cast into the lake of unquenchable fire. Then there's that question, what is heaven like? Doesn't that jumpstart our imaginations? We think about the books we've read, the films we've seen, scripture that inspires us. And maybe some of us have, you know, those images we had since childhood of pearly gates and streets of gold and angels lounging on clouds while they strum their harps and polish their halos. Ultimately, heaven is, and I love this word, ineffable, and you can't put it into human language. Even Jesus, when he was teaching about the kingdom of God or heaven, would say the kingdom of heaven is like, and use the language of poetry. We know it will be full relationship with God. One of the great catechisms of the church says that the chief end of humanity is to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. But don't worry that you think it's going to be just a long, eternal church service. I want you to think in your life those moments that you have been filled with joy, with laughter, with love, when relationship with someone else was at its fullest, when you were in the sweet spot of life where you were doing what you knew God created you to do, that is just a hint, a glimpse, a foretaste of what heaven will be like. One of the witnesses of the Scripture says that it will be like going home. We often use John chapter 14 in funeral services for a Christian where Jesus says, there are many homes up there where my father lives and I'm going to prepare them for your coming. And when everything is ready, then I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Arnold Schopenhauer said that every parting in this world gives us a foretaste of death. And every reunion in this world gives us a foretaste of life. There's a word in German I will not even attempt to pronounce, but its rough English translation is a homesickness for a place we've never been before. And that is what we experience as aliens and strangers in this world. Max Licato, who is a popular writer and speaker talks about flying back home to San Antonio, Texas, and he said as soon as the plane hit the tarmac, you could hear the click, click, click as people began to unbuckle their seatbelts. He said the flight attendant stood up front and did the spiel, you know the spiel. Please remain in your seats with your seatbelts fastened until the plane reaches the terminal and comes to a stop. Nobody pays attention to that. They're standing up in the aisles, opening the bins, getting down their carry-on, standing in the aisle, waiting to get off. He asked why. He said, why? Well, the reason is the plane was simply a means of transportation to the place they wanted to go. They wanted to get off the plane and be reunited with their loved ones. He said, no flight attendant has to convince a passenger to get off the plane. Nobody says, boy, these seats sure are comfortable. I could stay here a couple more hours. The food was so good. Could you serve me another course? I would like to stay and watch one more movie. Of course not. They want to get off the plane. 
So Cato goes on to say, so why do we as Christians cling to this world? It's not our home. And we are aliens and strangers passing through this world to the world beyond. Spirits come from God, returning to God. And at our best, we want to know one thing, the way to heaven and how to land safe on that happy shore. Until that day, we give God thanks for foretaste of glory divine and look forward to a time when we'll stand with all of God's saints before the Lord's throne and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servants, enter into the joy of your master. Let us pray. Gracious God, because we are physical creatures in a fallen world, we do oftentimes find ourselves falling in love with the world about us, enticed by those things that appeal to our five senses. Forgive us, we pray. Remind us time and again, this isn't our world. We brought nothing into this world. We'll take nothing out of it. Our time is spent loving you and loving others and experiencing life and abundant life and everlasting life. And we do look forward to that day when we're reunited with the faithful forever. Until that time, surround us with your care and protection. Keep us and those we love firmly in your hands and teach us so to live in this life that in the life to come, we might inherit life everlasting. In Christ's name we pray it. Amen.